right, so many of you know that I am born and raised in Fiji. I use Fiji a lot of times in my examples because I'm from there. And so recently, I just came back from the nation. Well, I came back in around April. And I was actually there for seven months because I was spending time with my family. Due to COVID-19, I had to wait for the borders to open so that I could come back into the nation. So I'm really blessed and very grateful to our leaders for giving me extended time off so that I could go and spend time with our family. How many of us know that family is very important? God first, then family. So I'm so grateful that family is a priority in this house. And so for our leaders to allow me to go home for that extended time, I really appreciated that. So anyway, I hop on the plane, and just so you know, I always go to Fiji. And every time I hop back on the plane, I usually catch Air New Zealand to come back. And one thing I love about catching Air New Zealand is their safety demonstration videos. They're so creative. You know, like it's, it's so creative. Every time I hop on, over the years that I've been going, it's changed over uh, the years. But I, it's just so creative. But there's two particular videos that come on. The first one is the safety demonstration video when you're about to disembark, and then there's the arrival video that happens as the plane is descending. And of course, a lot of you here probably catch the plane, so you know what I'm talking about. But as the plane is descending, all of a sudden the screen pops up, and you hear the captain come on the intercom. Cabin crew, prepare the cabin for landing. And all of a sudden you have to make sure that your seat is, you know, sitting in your seat, you fasten your seatbelt because here comes the crew, they're preparing the cabin for landing, please make sure that your tray tables are seated up, please make sure that your seat is right up because we are getting ready to land. And as you look on the screen, all of a sudden this person comes on and they say, welcome to Aotearoa, New Zealand, the land of the All Blacks. <laughs> but they say a lot more than that and one thing they do is they show you the landscape, the beautiful landscape of New Zealand is what you see. So for first-time visitors to New Zealand, you get a little glimpse of what's going to happen. You get a little glimpse of this beautiful place called Aotearoa. And another thing that they show on the plane is they show the Auckland skyline. And with the Auckland skyline, you see this not just on the plane, but if I'm a foreigner watching overseas and they talk about New Zealand, they most probably will always show this picture of Auckland. And one thing that really stands out is the sky tower. So the Sky Tower, ladies and gentlemen, was, it took two years and nine months to put that building up. And this, if you have family visiting from overseas, usually, usually sometimes you'd like to take them to this place because you want them to see the beautiful view because it has a 360 observation view where you can actually look at the, um, the beautiful harbor of Auckland. So this particular building is situated here, as we all know. And when people watch TV, they see this building, they know that they know that they know that this sky tower is located here in Auckland. Now, does anybody know who these two people are? If you don't know, that means you are very, very, very young. <laughs> very, very young. But if you do know, you, oh my gosh, if you do know who these people are, this is Marty McFly and the doc. And so what this, the doctor who is holding this little machine, is, uh, transmission as you can see, is they created a time machine. So you can step into this time machine, this time capsule, and he will take you all the way to the future and tell you what the future looks like. But I want to take all of us, ladies and gentlemen, on a journey. I want to go all the way back to the Old Testament. All right, back to the Old Testament. So I want you to just put yourself in this situation 
all the way back in history, what a time it would be like to live in the, I wonder what it's like to actually be um, living in that time. But I want us to jump back to the Old Testament and talk about another building. I talked about the sky tower, but I want to talk about a building that the Lord put King Solomon in charge of to build. And this building is the temple. The temple of the Lord. If you listened to Pastor Taolu's sermon last week, you would, have, you would have heard him speak about this. And he mentioned that the temple was built 500 years before Jesus was born. And this temple was a very big deal. It's a massive thing. Because for the very first time, God was going to attach his physical presence to a building. For the very first time, in Jewish history, people would come to this temple and they would know that they would know that they would know that they were going to meet with God. So it was a massive deal. It took Solomon seven years to build this temple. It took two years to build the sky tower, but it took Solomon ten, uh, seven years, sorry, seven years to build this temple in Jerusalem. You see, God gave specific instructions of how he wanted this temple to be built. And the craftsmen had to stick to these fine details. So King Solomon, obviously, and his builders, the reason why this building was so different from everything else is it was built with lavish metal. And, and the, um, when you walked into the temple, it was... Sorry, the walls. The walls of the temple were decorated with beautiful jewels and with gold. The main room of the temple was paneled with cypress wood and overlaid with fine gold. This, at this time, this particular temple was the most costliest and most expensive structure to put up in Israel's history. The one thing about this temple is it was a symbol of God's holiness. So every time people walked into the temple, the atmosphere itself created respect it commanded respect, and people felt, they, they just felt the presence of God when they walked in there. So the temple was a symbol of God's holiness. It was also a symbol of God's covenant with Israel. People's, people's hearts were focused on God every time they walked in there. The other thing about the temple is it was a place of forgiveness. It was a symbol of forgiveness. The furniture and the temple design itself reminded the people of the seriousness of sin and the penalty for sin, therefore realizing their need for forgiveness. So why was this particular temple built on a grand scale? Well, firstly, it was to cater to the large crowds that were going to come and visit, to the people that were going to worship in there. But I just wanted to refer a little bit to Pastor Taulu's sermon last week. He said Israel was becoming a new mighty nation. He said that when a nation would go to war against another nation, it usually reflected the gods that they serve if they won. So if you went to war against another nation and you were part of the winning tribe, then that means that your God is a strong God. But if you lost, that means your gods were weak. So every time Israel went to battle, they began to realize that as they put their trust in God and as they started living according to his word, God would deliver them from their enemies and they would win the battle. They were always, always, always victorious. So what is the purpose of this temple? 
The purpose of this particular temple that was built back in the Old Testament is it was to display the one true God. Because back then, people didn't know about Israel's God. Who is this God that he's serving, that they're serving? But this temple was to display to all, all the nations that Yahweh is the one true and mighty God. The passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 22, verse 5, it says, The house to be built for the Lord should be of great magnificence and fame and splendor in sight of all the nations. So for the very first time, people were now starting to see this is the one true God. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to jump back into the time capsule. And we're going to now go to the New Testament. I need to give you a bit of background history so you can understand what's happening here. We're going to jump back to the New, we're going to move into the New Testament here. And now Jesus comes on the scene. Sorry, please bear bear with me. My iPad died, and so I have to resort back to using (laughs) paper. Okay, here we go. The Messiah is born. Jesus comes on the scene, and he calls the first disciples to start following him. And he goes to this temple, but he sees that it is now being misused. If I could use current language now, it's like people were gambling in there, exchanging money, you know, like let's just do some illegal things in there. So pretty much what was happening is it was not being used as a house of holiness or a house of prayer. It was now being used to sell cattle and it was not being used for what its original purpose was. So this obviously is heavy on Jesus' heart and so he chases the people out and this is what he particularly says. He says, stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Basically, he was rebuking them because they were misusing the temple. But the Jewish leaders at that time, when they were sitting there, and here comes Jesus, they weren't expecting him to be the Messiah. And when he chases them out, this is what their response was to him. Who in the world are you to come in here and tell us to move out? Who are you? But you know what Jesus says? See, this is the thing about God, is he never responds the way we would respond. What Jesus says, because the Jewish leaders challenged him, sorry. They said, who in the world are you? If you have all this authority, then do a miracle. That's pretty much what they were saying to Jesus. But instead of responding the way they did, this is what Jesus said. In John chapter 2, verse 19, destroy this temple... And I will raise it again in three days. But the Jewish leaders and the disciples didn't really understand what he was saying. You know when people are talking and explaining something and you're like, (laughs) but you really don't understand what they're saying? (laughs) So that's exactly what happened. Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, I will raise it up in three days. And the people did not understand what he said. But what Jesus was saying is he was referring to his death and resurrection. And after his crucifixion, That is when the disciples truly understood what he meant. Because what he meant, ladies and gentlemen, is now he is going to be the ultimate temple that we will worship and he will live inside of us. Let's jump back into that time capsule, ladies and gentlemen, and we are going to move now to the future. Back to the future. Back now to current, 2021. What does this sermon have to do with you? What does 21 temples have to do with you? Why are we going through this sermon? I'm so glad you asked me that question. (laughs) What this means, ladies and gentlemen, is now you are the temple of the living God. Back in the day, 
God's physical presence was attached to a building so that the whole nations could see that Yahweh was the one true God. But after the resurrection, now God is, is looking for a moving, living temple. And guess what, baby? It is you. It is you if you follow him. If you are living in accordance with his will. Not if you're just turning up to church. Not if you're just, okay, let me just like clock in here. Let everybody see that I'm here. Woohoo! I came to church. Tick the box. All right. Time to go home. No, 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 no. I'm talking about walking, living, moving, and having communion with this Yahweh, with the one true God, not just coming into a religious sanctuary so you can sing a bunch of songs and then go back and live a, a normal current life that everybody is living. Because Israel at the time was becoming a different nation. They were set apart. They were different from everybody else. People saw that they were different. And that is a difference now that God is wanting to see is that now he is going to attach his physical presence in us and we get to display, we get to partner with this living God to tell others about this Jesus. And if that doesn't excite you, man, I don't know what else will, okay? If that doesn't excite you, that you get to partner with this holy God. Do you know that if you try to get a meeting with Jacinda, good luck, because you have to go through all these processes and protocols just to meet with the prime minister of this nation. But you get to walk into the presence of the most high God. Where there is power. Where there is healing. Where there is provision for each and every one of us. Amen. And that is the reason why the temple existed is because now God is coming to tell the people this is who I am. And I can come and commune with you. I love what Cicela said this morning, that God wants to come here to talk to us. He wants to commune with us like a father. Not, not this religious thing where we just have to come, sing a bunch of songs, and tick the box. No, God is after this real, true relationship with us. Right? Amen? So you get to be the temple. I get to be the temple. You see, God said, you didn't choose me. I chose you. You know, one thing I love about God is it doesn't wait till you have everything all together. It doesn't wait till you're perfect. Because a lot of the time, we think that we have to clean ourselves up before God can use us. No, you come just as you are. It is his righteousness that was exchanged for our sin. It's his loving kindness. I'm not worthy to even stand up here and tell you this. But it's the fact that I now understand and know and believe that this God died for me. He's taken my sin. And now he has asked, of, asked me to tell others about him. So I just play a very small part. And now I'm telling you. Now I have a responsibility. Knowing what Jesus has done in my life. Knowing how much He's changed. If I could stand here and tell you the list, we'll be here till forever, but I won't. But you get to do that too. You are the temple of the living God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Don't you realize, this is the word of God, ladies and gentlemen. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and the spirit of God lives in you. This is a truth, ladies and gentlemen. This is the truth. Even though the temple does not exist anymore in the past, the temple principle still remains the same. And God has chosen us to take part. 
There's two things that I want to focus on this morning about the temple, and that and the first one is it was visible. And the second one is it is a place of miracles. The temple was so big when King Solomon built it, it was visible. Everybody came, they saw, this is a visible temple. But now God is attaching his presence to us. You are a visible temple for people to see. And I just want to encourage you, especially in your workplace, in your families, that you get to be that living example for others to come to know God. I want to talk about a real story and use real people because this is going to help us understand what does it mean to really look like a real temple of the Lord. To be an example for someone who does not know Jesus to come to know him. And so I ask permission from my beautiful, lovely, loving family and friends. Say, Peppa. Everyone knows Peppa. She stands up, she sings every Sunday, she's faithful to serve here. And I'm, I'm, when I came back from Fiji, I have the privilege of living with her and her nephew, Bradley. And I asked Bradley if I could share his story this morning. And he was like, yes, because if it's going to help someone, you can share it. And I prayed and I said, Lord, if you want me to share this story, then I'll share this story. And so obviously we know Peppa is here singing faithfully, loves God, and is a temple. And so last year, last year Bradley, her nephew, unfortunately got into a fight with some people and ended up, that fight ended up with one person getting knocked out. And when the police turned up on the scene and they took Bradley's statement, he confessed and he said, yes, it was his punch that actually knocked the guy out. Now, the thing is, because they were a group of boys, he was protecting his friend, because you know, when you're fighting against other people, he was protecting his friend that was, a, the other guy was about to punch him, so he punched him back. But that blow, and here's the other thing, if you mess with Samoans and Tongans, man, I'm telling you, <laughs> it's another story. But that punch actually, unfortunately, um, got this guy unconscious. But the police turn up on the scene, and they take his statement, and he was truthful, and he said, yes, it was his punch that led to the man's concussion. This is last year. Me and Sepepa were flatting at the time with other girls from this church. And he was carrying that weight last year because now it's going to turn into a court case. And I need to paint the picture about Bradley's life because he came from Samoa when he was 19. If there's one thing I have in common with Peppa and Bradley is that I came from the islands when I was 19. Peppa came from the islands when she was 19. And there is a difference, ladies and gentlemen, when you are leaving your family and coming into a first world nation by yourself to live here. You've left your comfort zone. You've left your, you've left your support system. And you're moving to another nation in hopes that you will find better opportunities. I know a lot of you probably have family that have done the same. And it is actually a scary thing when you leave your family and you come into a new land to try and start a new life and do all these different things. So I understood how hard that was because I came when I was 19 as well and left my family as well. So anyway, fast forward now, we're adults and Bradley gets into this troubled situation. And because he is not living, like me and Peppa were living with a flat at the time, and he was around this wrong crowd. He is not with his family. His family is not here in, in this nation. But he has one auntie that lives here. And she happens to be a Christian. 
And she happens to be someone that knows God, and he knows there's only one person here that can help me, and it's her. A living temple. The temple was visible. Isn't it funny? There's, isn't it funny? You can have a lot of family, but you know there's only one person that's going to probably help you, and you know who that person is. And so it was Peppa. So he comes to Peppa, and now I've come back from Fiji now this year, living together, and he's, he's living with us as well. And then I hear the story of what happened, and Bradley's explaining, and Peppa's explaining, and now we're getting ready for the court case, and it's not easy. It's not an easy thing. And I remember before, they went to, before all of this took place, I remember, look, we've got to pray. We've got to ask God to help us, all right? So we come together, we pray. We pray, with, we pray with Bradley. Then now the week of the trial happens. Before they leave, we come again in the morning. We've got to pray. So we pray together. It's just the three of us. Our family is not here. Our family is in the islands. But just the three of us are here. But we believe in the one true God to help us. Just like Israel, when they went to war, they trusted that the God they served was going to fight their battle and defeat their enemies. And so here we are, just the three of us praying, God, please have mercy. Please forgive us for our sins. Please, Lord God, move in the jury's heart, please, because Bradley can't possibly go to jail. It is not in his hands. It's not in the judge's hands. It's in the jury's hands. And here we are praying and trusting in God Monday. He, they go. They come back. Peppa, how was the case? She tells me how it is. It's heavy. There's situations going on. Day two, we got to pray. Get up. Let's pray. You know, I'm so grateful for our parents that teach us these things when we're young. Because when no one is there to help you, when your family is not there to help you, God is there to help you. And the reason why I'm sharing this is because my sister here, our family is not physically here. It's nice when your family is standing with you. But there was only one person here who was going to help Bradley, and it was my sister. There was only one person here who was a living temple, and he needed help. He needed someone who's going to show him the way, and it is the, the girl that knows Yahweh, the one that knows the one true God. She's the one that knows the one true God. He may not know, but she knows. We may not have family here, but God's got our back. God provides all our needs. This is the God that we serve. She was visible. And I'm grateful that we came from a background that teaches foundations of praying and trusting in God. Day two, they go again. Sis, how was the case? Oh my goodness, blah, blah, blah. She explains it again. She explains all these situations to me. Wednesday, they have to go again. But this time, Pepper had to go to work. I'm going to work. And now Bradley has to go on his own to the court. Thank God his girlfriend went with him. But before he left, I was still at home. Before he left, I said, Bradley, come. We've got to pray one more time. So we prayed together. Thank you, sis. We prayed together in the living room. And I was praying, God, have mercy. Forgive us for our sins. Have mercy, God. Please move. They go. They come back. And every time Bradley came home, I could see. I could see in his heart and his eyes the heaviness. 
now it's the, and the next day I didn't have much work on, so I was able to go to court as well. So I went with Pepper to support her. We sat there in court, watched the video footage of what was going on. I could see what was going on. But I know Bradley's heart. I see this guy and I see him, man, I know your heart, man. This guy came to protect his friend. Yes, it was the wrong situation. Yes, it was the wrong time, wrong crowd, wrong friends. Who cares? But see, God does not look at those things. He's after your heart. So anyway, long story short, the situation, it's really up to the jury. It's not up to us. We come home. <laughs> we come home and we have one night left. Now the jury is getting ready to give the verdict tomorrow morning, Friday morning. One more night, sis. We got to pray. Friday morning before they go, we got to pray. Made breakfast. We prayed one more time. We said, Lord, whatever the outcome is, whatever the outcome is, we trust in your will. Anyway, we have a campus thing that goes on. I go to work with cells. We have to look after the campus girls. And so I was with them. We were having lunch. And then I get a text from St. Pepper. The jury said he's not guilty. Praise God. He's a free man. And you know what? We knew. We knew that God answered our prayer. Came home, and I'm telling you, the joy that was in our heart. We were like jumping up and down, like, oh, my gosh, you know, hugging and celebrating. And we had a massive, we had a massive talk. I think we talked the whole weekend. We talked with Bradley Friday night. We talked with him on Saturday. Talked to him on, <laughs> talked to him on Sunday. And we were, you know, here's the thing. We spoke to him because now this man, he knows that only Yahweh, the one true God, fought his battle. He knows that he knows that he knows that he knows that it is God that saved him that day. Is he here? No. Has he given me permission to share this? Yes. But you know what? We love him into the kingdom. Because that is what it means to be a living temple. That's what it means. It means to love people into the kingdom no matter what happens. Are you a living temple at your workplace? Or are you those ninja Christians? They're like, oh, woozers, you pray, oh, woozers, you actually a Christian? I love what Ulu shared last week, that when he plays with his different bands, he is a temple. Those people are not going to come to church. He is the church over there. And if we just keep sticking to our beautiful comfort zones, ladies and gentlemen, man, we are missing out on a beautiful opportunity to be used by God. All God asks is for us to partner with him, pray for people. And be ready to be used by him when the opportunity arises. You are around a lot of people that need the Lord. I'm telling you that right now. When you leave this place, see this building? We're only in here for an hour and a half. Then we go and you are the living temple six days a week meeting people that do not know Christ. People that are looking for hope. And that is a thing that, that's a thing. Everybody's looking for peace. They're looking for hope. They're looking for something out there that's going to, Give them this peace, and you know the answer, and it's Jesus. So I just want to encourage you, ladies and gentlemen, do not be ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of salvation to those who believe. You're not the power. The gospel is the power. We just have to be the vessel. Amen? The temple was visible, and the temple was a place of miracles. I just want to finish off with one last story. Uh, can you please put up the next slide? Uh, yeah, okay. This is my family. So this is my family. that We were in Fiji. Uh, this is when I was in Fiji. 
That's my beautiful mother and my brother. <laughs> so um, I was there for a while. Like I told you earlier that I was there for about seven months. And obviously it was COVID-free at the time while I was there. I know a lot of you are following the news and you've seen what's happening right now. But while I was living in Fiji, I was there for seven months and nothing was happening. Everything, we were on level one pretty much. We were pretty much doing everything that we're doing now here in New Zealand. Free to go everywhere, free to do what you need to do, work in your workplace. But the week that I had to come back to New Zealand, imagine I was there for seven months, but the week, the week that I'm meant to come to New Zealand, I wake up to a very concerning text. So I'm supposed to fly out on a Thursday, but on a Monday, so usually I go to the gym with some of my friends, and on, at 5 a.m. I woke up excited to go to the gym, but I was woken up to a disturbing text that I got from one of our church members in Fiji. And they texted me and they said, hey, Fee, I don't know if you saw the news, but Nandi is on lockdown. So I live, where is this? Oh, here. You can follow this red light. Can you see that red light? So I live here in Suva, and I get a text that here, Nandi is on lockdown because of a COVID-19 situation. So they said somebody has tested positive, uh, four people have tested positive, so the whole of Nandi is now on lockdown. And the situation that I need to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, is I live over here, but the international airport for me to fly to New Zealand is all the way here. It takes three hours from here to, fly, to get to, three hours by uh, car, sorry, three hours to get from Suva, where I live, all the way to Nandi. So on Monday, I get this news, and they say it's on lockdown. I'm not sure if the flights are going to go ahead because of the situation. So instead of going to the gym, <laughs> I get texts and calls from um, other people saying, hey, are you okay? What's going to happen? Are you going to fly out? And I was also traveling with a South African couple at the time from our church in Fiji. They were messaging me, and I said, hey, what are you guys going to do? They said, oh, we're just going to wait for the press release to come out from the prime minister before we see what's going to happen. So we get the press release at around 3 p.m., and the Prime Minister comes on television, and this is what he says. Due to the outbreak, we've had to lock down Nandi. International flights are still going ahead, but you only have 24 hours to get into the containment area. So we only have 24 hours to get in there. So he told us that at 3 p.m., and so I had to say goodbye to my family a lot earlier than I wanted to, and I had to get in the car with the South African couple, I thank God for them, that I was able to travel with them. And we're traveling into the containment area. And what's funny is you can see everybody is traveling out of the containment area, but we are going into the death zone. <laughs> it was crazy. Honestly, it was crazy. And you remember last year when COVID first um, came to New Zealand? Remember when Jacinda put us on the first lockdown? And remember the craziness that happened here in Auckland? Remember the panic and how people... Uh, we're rushing to the supermarket. You could see, you could feel the fear in the atmosphere. That is exactly what was happening on that one day on Monday. So we could we could see it. We could see the chaos happening. You could see the traffic building. So I prayed with my family. My family prayed with me, and then I left with the South African family. So we go into we go into Nandi. Our next slide, please, um, Diana. We go into Nandi. So while we're in Nandi, 
On, uh, we go there on Monday, yes. On Tuesday, remember, I'm supposed to fly out on Thursday. On Monday, we go in, Monday night. On Tuesday, we, we are at the hotel. Now I'm at the hotel, three hours away from where I originally, originally live. And then we are listening to the cases now starting to spread in Nandi. And then, uh, thank you, uh, Diana, can go to the next slide. So I only, I only had 24 hours to get into that containment area. And while we were there, everything was fine on Tuesday. So Monday, I had 24 hours to get in. Thursday, I'm supposed to fly. Monday, I only had 24 hours to get into the containment area. On Tuesday, while, we, while I was in the hotel, and no one was in the hotel. It was like a zombie zone, man. While we were in the hotel with the South African couple, the cases started to spread, and we were watching the updates coming through the press release. And the problem is, is the cases started to spread to different parts of Fiji. On Wednesday, now this is the day that I am meant to, the last day, Wednesday, Right before I'm about to fly out, more cases come on, and then the government says, all international flights are now canceled. But this is the other problem, is they say all international flights are now canceled, and we have to stay in Nandi for 14 days before we can go anywhere else. And so I was in that hotel room, and I knew I cannot stay here for 14 days by myself. First of all, I ain't got no money to stay here for 14 days <laughs> in this hotel room by myself with the African Cup. I'd rather be on the other side with my family. So they cancel the flights and then the South African couple call me and they're like, I have no idea what to do. I have no idea what to say. And you know what I said? We've got to pray. <laughs> So I was going back and forth, back and forth, back and six with our staff here in Auckland. At the time, um, I was messaging Luti, I was messaging cells, and then they contacted the elders, and I said, please, we've got to pray, because we ha I don't know what to do, but we just need the flight to go tomorrow. So I contacted the staff, contacted the, pr contacted the prayer team, and also I contacted Pastor Jarrett, who is our pastor in Fiji, and, their church and our church family there. So they were praying Church family were praying, and I was praying. I called my mom, and I said, hey, this is a situation. My mom also heard the news. And you know what she said to me? She said, God did not bring you this far to see you fail. This is a Red Sea moment. Oh, that's lovely, mother, but um, I need the plane to go tomorrow. <laughs> no, but honestly, at the time, my mom's words really, really brought peace to my heart. She said, this is a Red Sea moment, and now we're going to see God move. You know, you know when people say with authority, it's like, ooh. So when my mom said that, when my mom said that to me, I was just like, okay, it's time for God to show off once again. <laughs> but at the, I'm telling you now with a smile and a laugh, but honestly, I was not smiling and laughing when I was sitting in that hotel room waiting and trusting and how, trying to see what's happening. The other thing about Wednesday, I must say, sorry is not only did the government cancel the flight, but they, we did get a call that you had to get a COVID test if you wanted to go anywhere. So we're like, well, I'm not going to get a COVID test. I'm stuck here in this hotel. Now, I have another friend that was supposed to travel with us, and by God's grace and miracle, he was able to bypass and get into the containment area with us. And he, his name is Ethan, he's also part of our church, he has people in high places. He knows people in high places in Fiji. So we were going back and forth on the phone, and he said, look, we've got to pray, but I know someone in the airline or in the aviation 
department and all of that. They're going into a meeting right now. So we just got to pray that by some miracle, the flight is going to go, even though they've said it's canceled. So we're all praying, and the long story short, ladies and gentlemen, on Thursday morning, we wake up, and the first thing that I see at 7 a.m. is a press release written on the government website saying there are only two flights that's going to go today. It is the flight to America and the flight to New Zealand, which is the flight that, I was, that I'm on, and that was the last flight before they shut the border so the fact that I could get here is a miracle in itself. But I'm so grateful for living temples, temples like our staff, people that I could rely on, people that I could call on for prayer when I, when I didn't know what else to do. The temple was visible, and the temple was a place of miracles. Uh, to finish off, I just wanted to say, ladies and gentlemen, that in your journey with the Lord, keep believing for miracles. Don't, don't be stale in your walk with the Lord because God wants to move and he wants to show himself strong. I know that a lot of us already know the story with our beautiful Auntie Lily and how that was a miracle as the church prayed and stood strong in prayer, trusting. And we saw an answer to that prayer. Amen? So my question to you, can I please have the keys? Um, oh, yeah, thank you. My question to you, ladies and gentlemen, is will you be the temple? We're in the year 2021 now. And the same, oh, these are the, sorry, these are the people that I traveled with. We were the last people to catch the flight. And I tell you now, we will never forget that experience, that Red Sea moment. When God changed the government's heart. You see, the government is still subject to the Lord. I think one thing that I've learned through all of this is just because you can't get to the prime minister, you can go straight to the most high God. He is the most high God. And He will move anything for you. He will heal you when you need to, if you want to be healed. Whether that's physical, whether that's emotional, He will provide for you when you run to Him. He wants to speak to you. He wants to provide for you. And He knows your need. If you're here this morning, ladies and gentlemen, and you have a need, I am here as a temple to tell you that you can go to God. There's no special access. There's no special appointments that you go straight to the Lord because He wants to do it for you. Will you be that temple for somebody else? Amen? Okay, let us stand. I'm going to finish here.